0: Let's stand together for the reading of the Gospel tonight. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, children, brother, sister, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Now you can get comfy. I won't make you stand up again right away. Good. <laughs> I love it. This is, an, this is an interesting passage of Scripture, and I, um, I wasn't able to be here, unfortunately, when uh, Alexa taught a couple weeks ago, but I did get to listen to it this week, and in some ways, we're just going to pick up, on what she was teaching a couple weeks ago in the passage, a couple a chapter before in Luke about the narrow gate and what it is to follow Jesus and that he says there's this narrow gate to which you're called to walk through. Tonight, in some ways, I feel like this passage gets even more intense. Um, I don't know about you, but this is, a, this is an odd passage in some ways. It's almost hard to read. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and everybody, in fact, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. When, when Jesus reads or teaches this out into um, this crowd, it says right at the very beginning of the passage that a giant crowd had formed. There's, there's a lot of people here to hear him at this moment. And he turns to this multitude, to this huge crowd, and gets ready to speak. And everybody's kind of like waiting with bated breath. What's he going to say? I mean, he's, he's, he's notorious for incredible teaching. The things that come out not only the things he does, but they were constantly amazed by his authority and his teaching. So they're sitting there ready, and all of a sudden he stands up, and out from his mouth comes this. My wonder is, a couple things. What are the twelve thinking? I found myself thinking if I was one of them, one of Jesus' 12 disciples sitting with Jesus, and he got up and started doing this, I'm thinking, oh no, the emails we're going to get, right? Man, you're, you're killing the whole thing. That is not what they came to hear you say. The damage control we're going to have to do after this one. What are the disciples thinking? But what, are, what is the crowd thinking? What are these multitudes of people who have come, probably some of them sick, some of them oppressed, some of them just wanting to hear the truth that they've heard, to see this man in action, and then he stands up and says this? What are they thinking? Maybe I would ask tonight, what are you thinking when you read this? What are you thinking tonight as you sit in your chair, as you think about God and you think about your life, wherever you're at in that relationship, in that journey? What happens for you when you hear these things? But most importantly, I think, for us tonight, and where I want us to spend our time and our attention is here. What is Jesus thinking? What is going on for him here? What is Jesus trying to do? What is he trying to say? We read this, and I know for me, when I read it, and even when I read it tonight, it feels intense at the very least. Right? It's, it's like, wow, okay. We're getting serious here. What is it that Jesus is thinking? What is it that he's trying to say to our hearts tonight as we hear this passage from the Gospels Jesus goes on to use a couple of examples of that I think give us a hint at what it is is his motivation what's his heart in a in a message like this and the first thing that stands out to me in the place where I want to rest tonight is when he says whoever sorry where is it for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down, count the cost, and on he goes. But the word that stood out to me as I studied and prepared for tonight was this word, desire. Which of you who desires? My question for you tonight, and it'll come up many times as we look at this passage, is this. What do you desire? You were created as men and women in the image of God, to be people of desire. You have desires, and desire, the the presence of desire in you is not inherently bad. I think sometimes in the church we've come to this idea that somehow I've got to kill all my desires and live without desire. Just kind of like, and in some ways, if you do that, you become almost void of humanity. Because it's not how you were created. You were created with longing. You were created with desire. But what happens is that sin enters into our lives and into our world, and it touches our hearts, and suddenly we watch what happens in that place to our desire. This place of desire starts to morph and shape and actually get perverted by sin. And suddenly we find that, yes, we're people of desire, but our desire becomes for things that will not serve us, things that will not bring us life, things that will, in fact, almost harm us or harm others. Right. So you are wired as a person of desire. You, you, you're supposed to have them. Christ put them in you when he created you. Sin taints desire but the good news is that christ on the cross and in the power of his resurrection sanctifies desire that part of what he wants to do in our lives is to bring us to a place where the desires of our hearts begin to mirror the desires of our father's heart it's part of the reason i think is a side note why jesus told us to pray thy kingdom come and thy will be done The desires of your heart, God, let them be the desires of my heart. And we recognize that often in our lives and in our daily lives, we have strong desire, but maybe not for the things of God. So let me ask you again tonight. What do you desire? And when I ask you that question, I want you to push past the first thing that comes to your mind. Because often the first thing that comes in response to this question of desire is not the thing that you most deeply desire. In fact, some of the things, if you were really honest tonight when I asked that question, that come forth, you wouldn't say out loud because you know that when you go to answer me, the things you're going to tell me aren't the right answer. What do I desire? Fame. Whoa! Did he just say that? So I want you to push past the first thing that comes to your mind to say this is something we do often around here. We would say, okay, great. Thanks for being honest. Can we push past it? Let me ask you, why? Why would someone maybe say, and many people in our world would, if social media is any gauge, I want fame. I want, why? Because I want to be seen. I want to be recognized. I want to be known as a person of value. I want to leave a mark. And we start to push deeper and deeper. And if we stand with Jesus in these places, we realize that even under the brokenness of our sinful desire lies at the core of our being God-inspired desire. It's just that the places where we've gone and the things we thought we desired actually will never satisfy this craving that we have, this deep desire. What do you desire? In the core of your being, what is your heart longing for? Here in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is speaking to people, to a crowd, who appear to desire him. He starts to speak to this desire to be disciples, followers of Jesus. To come and to walk with him. A group of people who might answer the question at least in some part i mean they're there they've gone to some lengths to get there to be with jesus to 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 experience his presence to hear his teaching to be touched by him so in some ways might say i desire you jesus i desire to follow you and so to have a life that looks like yours this is what discipleship was about You would follow a rabbi, and part of it was that you would follow his example. You would come to look more and more like him or her. You would come into these spaces. And so here's these people who are saying, we want to see you, Jesus. We want to experience you, that we might have a life like yours, and that we might have the benefits that come from your hand. They've watched. Jesus prays for the sick, and they're healed. Jesus speaks into lives of those who have been lost and dejected and, 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 and tossed aside and something about his presence in their life or restoring them back to life and life to the full. We want you, Jesus. The question, though, when Jesus begins to lay it out and say, okay, if that's what you desire, let me explain how this works. If you can't die to yourself, you can't have the desire of your heart. You cannot be my disciple. And he begins to explain and he gets pretty intense. He's calling people to a change of life. He's calling them to let go of all else to follow Jesus. There's no room for anyone else in the lordship chair. There's no room for anybody but Jesus in the life of the disciple as it relates to who they follow. Who leads their life. And the question becomes, why might, and I'm sure some of the crowd is asking themselves this at this point, why on earth would someone desire Jesus above all else? If we're honest with ourselves tonight, that's a great question. Because that's what Jesus is saying. To come follow me, you have to follow me above all else. Even your own life needs to take second place to me. Why might someone consider this? Our lectionary passages, every uh, weekend as we get together, there's an Old Testament, a psalm, a New Testament, and a gospel passage laid out in the lectionary. I want to touch all of them tonight really briefly. Don't worry, we won't be here forever. might be here longer than you want it to be, but we won't be here forever. The New Testament passage tonight is the book of Philemon. How many of you are super familiar with the book of Philemon? Not very many. The book of Philemon is, doesn't even have chapters because if it did, it would only have one. It's a short letter, but it's a letter that Paul writes from prison to a man named Philemon. Philemon was, seems to be a wealthy man, and he's a Christian at this point. It's someone that Paul knows from his work as an apostle. Paul meets a man in prison whose name is Onesimus. Onesimus was Philemon's slave. And one way or another, through criminal behavior, Onesimus gets put in jail. So he's there as a criminal, and Paul meets him there in prison, and Paul does what Paul does because he's compelled by the love of Christ. He invites Onesimus to be reconciled to God, and Onesimus takes him up on it. And God begins in that prison to radically change this man's life And so the the letter of Philemon is a letter that Paul writes back to Philemon to say, Philemon, I think I'd be within my rights to tell you to do this, but I'm not going to do that because I love you, I I respect you, so I'm going to ask. I'm going to send this guy back to you and I want you to receive him as a beloved brother. Now, if you understand the culture of the day This is radical stuff. Why might someone forsake all else to follow Jesus? I want to say tonight just briefly, and you can go read the letter later. You can look at it some more. We don't have a lot of time. But I think this story, this letter of Philemon, is a great testimony to why you might want to lay down everything else to follow Jesus. I think if this slave now made free standing with Paul, experiencing the transformation of his life we're here tonight, he would stand up beside me and say, friends, forsake everything else to follow Jesus. It will radically change your life. But I want to point out that I think everyone in this story is a testament to that. That a slave owner would even consider this says something about how radically God had changed his life. And certainly, in the accepting of this man back as a beloved friend, he gets to participate in a transformative reality for an that would not be possible otherwise. What a great experience. What a freedom. What a life. Why? Because he laid down, he died to himself. He could have went back to the rights. We talk a lot in our nation about rights these days. If Philemon had pulled out his rights, pulled out even the legal like situation, he would have said he could have easily said legally, "No, you send him back here," and he goes back to work. He has done what it is that Jesus is calling his disciple. He's died to himself, and Paul even sitting there in that prison and getting to witness this, knowing the life that he's walked and that there he sits in this place able to not just stare at the walls of the prison and get all depressed and down on himself, but to look around and say, God, what do you want to do here? I think it's an incredible testimony to why someone might desire Jesus above all else, might be willing to put Jesus in that place above all else. What is Jesus thinking when he says these words here in Luke chapter 14? Well, I'll tell you, and and this was inspired in some ways by what Alexis shared with us last week, I think it's important to recognize what Jesus isn't thinking, what Jesus isn't doing. And I'm pretty sure of this. I'm pretty confident in this. That Jesus is not trying to say, here's a set of rules, here's a way of life that is absolutely crushing and that I'm giving to just totally overwhelm and weigh you down. He's not saying if you want to be my disciple, good luck. I don't think that Jesus is trying to say if you want to be my disciple, you'll have to prove that to me first. Want to be my disciple? Prove it. I don't think that's what Jesus is doing here would be radically out of character for him. But sometimes we hear it that way, don't we? Sometimes even maybe tonight as I read that Gospel passage, there was a part of your heart that felt like that's what Jesus was doing. Friends, Jesus is not saying, if you want to be my disciple, then I've set up a series of challenges and questions and obstacles And if you can get from here to there, we'll talk. That is not what Jesus is doing. He's not trying to put things in your way to make it difficult for you to be a disciple of Jesus. Perhaps what's happening here is that Jesus actually knows Fully and completely what you most desire. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that there's not very many people in this room who could actually articulate their core desire very clearly. But let me tell you tonight, if you sit here in this place and say, you know, Chad, I'm not even totally sure what I want. I'm not even totally sure what I desire. I would say to you this, Jesus knows exactly what it is. Jesus knows the core, deep, heart desire of your life. He knows the answer to the giant why that surrounds your sin. You know what I mean by that? Have you ever asked yourself that in places of sin, especially the ones you just seem to wrestle with way more than you'd like? You start to say, why? Why do I do this? Why am I still wrestling with this? Jesus would come and say, there's a desire deep in your heart that is left at this point unmet. And I want to say this to you tonight. Jesus knows what that is. Even if you don't. So perhaps what's happening here is we have a Jesus who knows our deepest desire and He knows how those desires can be fully and sufficiently met. Not only does He know the deepest desire of your heart, He knows how to meet it. And it pains Him. It saddens Him. It grieves Him to watch you live life with it unmet, unsatisfied, and to watch you try and meet the desires of your heart in ways that he knows will never work. The Old Testament passage in our lectionary readings tonight is Deuteronomy chapter 30. And I've asked Heather to put up these scriptures as we read them so you don't have to flip around, but... Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 15 to 16 says see I've set before you now remember this is the end of Deuteronomy so the law has just been given the law has just been recalled right all the commandments the way that God has called the people to live and then he says this see I've set before you today life and good death and evil If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways, and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall have life and multiply. And the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of. Put a different way, our other lectionary passage tonight is Psalm chapter 1, where the first two verses, three verses, say this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Catch this. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, that yield its fruit in season, and its leaves do not wither, in all he does, he prospers. This has been the truth of God for the people of God since the creation. And Jesus is bringing forward this truth, bringing forward this reality into the lives of those who say, What do you desire? I desire to follow you, Jesus. He says, Yes, you know what you do. But let me shape this for you. Let me call you to this in its fullness. Why? Not because I'm trying to weigh you down, because I'm trying to set you free. Choose life, come into the way of God. What do we desire in our, the core of our being? What do we long for? I go back to that Deuteronomy passage and I read the outflow. I go to that psalm passage and I look at what happens for the man who plants himself in Jesus and I begin to see the answer, the fulfillment of the desires of my heart. Something in me starts to wake up and say, yes, please. We desire life and life to the full. We desire fellowship. We desire to not do life alone. We desire intimacy, to be known and to know, to walk in the depths of these things. In our life, in our church, in our friendships, but certainly in our families. And we desire fruitfulness that our lives would have meaning, that they would count for something. This is a God-given desire. And these things that we desire at the core of our being, these deep desires, these are the promises of God to those who abide in Jesus. This is the good news today. These aren't things that we need to desire and never have. In fact, the things of our deepest desire are the very things that Jesus so desperately wants to give to you, to lead you into. And so it's with that heart, with that conviction, with that desire, that Jesus then says, if you want to come to me, you have to forsake all else. Why? Because all else on its best day will not meet the desires of your heart. Jesus is certainly not saying get rid of your mom and dad. They don't matter. I mean, one of the Ten Commandments is honor your father and mother. Right? Jesus from the cross speaks to the beloved disciple care for my mother. There's concern, right? Right? This is not what he's saying. He's not saying that I shouldn't care about you as my brother, as my sister. What he's saying is those things can't take the place of Jesus. And in our lives, we hit moments when objectively, like like intentionally, or subjectively, unintentionally, we're asked to let those things take the place of Jesus. And Jesus is saying, if in that moment, you can't lay those things down for the sake of the gospel, then you can't be my disciple. He's not saying, you're disqualified, I cut you from the team. He's saying, you literally can't live into the fullness of life in Christ if Christ is not the center of your life. Both of these passages in Deuteronomy and in Psalm clearly speak to what happens if we don't abide. Deuteronomy 30 verses 17 through 18 says, If your heart turns away, you'll not hear. You're drawn away to worship other gods and to serve them. In other words, you put your hope for the desires of your heart somewhere else. I declare to you today that you will surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you're going over to the Jordan to enter and possess, the promises of God, the fulfillment of your desire, the promised land, you won't dwell in it. You'll lose the very thing you're clinging to or trying to take hold of in that way. The wicked, it says in Psalm 1, 4-6, are not so. They're like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Friends, desire, the place of longing, is relentless. It will not be ignored. You were created for relationship with the God who created you. You were created to walk in intimacy. You were created to live in a place of worship. You were created to know life and life more abundant. And that desire will not leave you alone. It's relentless. It demands to be met. But as Thomas Akempis said in The Imitation of Christ... My heart cannot rest or be fully content until rising above all gifts and all created things, it rests in you. To which I say, well said. My heart cannot rest or be fully content The desires of my soul cannot be met. Until rising above all gifts and every created thing, it rests in Jesus. I'm going to invite Adam and Alec to come back. And as they do, I'll bring us back to Luke chapter 14. And I pray that as we we, we look at that passage now and, and in the days to come, that you can hear the heart of Jesus to you in the place of your deepest desire. That you can hear there in that place of core desire an invitation from Jesus. Not a, a, a bunch of obstacles that have to be overcome, but an invitation to forsake all else. To live your life for the sake of Christ. And to know that the very deepest core desires of your life there will be met. It's one thing to touch the promise. It's one thing to come into the promise. And you know how many Israelites came in and out of the promised land before they finally landed there? To remain in the promised land is the desire of our heart. To abide with Christ. To know Him. To know His heart for us. To parent out of that place. To love our neighbor out of that place. To understand and come to know ourselves out of that place. Until we hear and respond to Jesus' invitation here in Luke 14... Our desire will go unfulfilled you may have good days you may have some some cool moments but you will not remain in that place and you will not see the core desires of your heart set at 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 rest to not forsake all else is not to give up on desire that's impossible it is instead to look for fulfillment where none can be sufficiently found. I can't just choose to not desire or to ignore it. It will chase me down. And in my life, Psalm 27.4 has, has been a life passage for me. It says, one thing have I desired. One thing do I long for. And I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon His beauty to inquire in his temple, to to meditate in his temple, to be with him. But throughout my life, as, as the hymn we often sing confesses, I am prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the one that I love. And this prayer of Psalm 27 4, this invitation of Jesus in Luke 14, it calls to the rebellious parts of my heart that would seek the desires of my soul elsewhere. And it says, Chad, repentance is your best friend here. And in repentance, why don't you forsake all else? Including the substance of your sin, the place of your self provision, and turn back to Christ to the one thing that your heart truly desires. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 to 20. As I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death blessing and curse therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live loving the Lord your God obeying his voice and holding fast to him For he is your life. He is your length of days. That you may dwell in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them. The promise of God to Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob and the people of God ever since. For those men was a place It had a geography. It was a promised land. But understand that with it came an incredible promise that you will be my people and I will be your God. Guys, that's the core desire of your heart. Whether tonight you fully understand that or or, or you're wrestling with it tonight, I would encourage you to think about that that the depths of my soul, the core desire of my life is that He would be my God and that I would be His Son. If that is true, and that is where I abide, wow, what kind of husband I could be. What kind of priest I could be. What kind of neighbor I could be. What kind of relationship I would have with with myself and with the world around me. So Tonight the invitation as we come to the Lord's table is again to consider what you desire. And to take Jesus at his word tonight that that which you most deeply desire can only be found in Jesus. So with that heart he says if you can't renounce all us you can't be my disciple it's this incredible heart of love with which Jesus points us to the narrow gate with which Jesus calls us to discipleship that at first glance seems a bit intense but in fact is just an invitation into life and life to the full.